Welcome to Buddhist Solutions for Real Life Problems. I'm Jihee Jolly, and on this show, we examine how people apply their Buddhist practice to the complex challenges of being human. Today, we're talking about something timeless, universal, and confusing having your heart broken. Musicians have been chronicling this experience for centuries, and we've been finding ourselves in this music for just as long. Think about it. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? Was it intoxicating and all-consuming? How did the relationship end? Were you left in a state of confusion and unbearable pain? So yeah, so she like broke up with me like officially, and I was like devastated. That's Amelia a young woman who swore she would never fall in love. I remember just like, didn't want to go to class, didn't want to get out of bed. Like, I wanted to sleep so I could dream about being with her. Like, so that my imagination could still be like we're together. So I hated waking up. Because if I woke up, that means, you know, I'm awake to the reality that we're not together. We're going to hear from her and others today about the sometimes debilitating pain that comes from the end of love and what solutions Buddhism offers for overcoming heartbreak. Let's talk about what falling in love feels like. It can be completely exhilarating. You meet someone you admire more than anyone else, who talks, thinks, and feels in ways that stir all of your heartstrings. Then they reciprocate, and all of a sudden, it's the two of you against the world. You're proud to be with them, delighted they chose you, and everything else in life loses a little bit of color. But people inevitably change, and if you get dumped, it feels like being thrown from the highest high to the lowest low. You're left a crumpled mess, wondering what's wrong with you, why you couldn't make your lover stay, and terrified at the thought of them moving on and sharing the intimate space you share together with someone else. Sometimes, heartbreak makes us do crazy things. Yell, cry, mope, hide, online stalk, or even seek vengeance. I know how crazy that sounds, but a broken heart can make you crazy. Buddhism teaches that this is in large part because seeking happiness outside of ourselves is what causes human beings to suffer. When we put all our cards, all our worth and hope for our future in the care of someone else's heart, we become immediately powerless and susceptible to their every whim. So rather than losing ourselves in love, Buddhism teaches that it's important to become a person whose self-worth is not dependent on the external, in this case, on another person. Making another human being the purpose of your life is basically a recipe for heartbreak. Instead, if we can cultivate our own self-respect, which through Buddhist practice is actually something we can strengthen, we come to see the people around us differently. Love becomes something that can support our infinitely dignified and respectworthy life 
rather than become the focus of it. In the words of Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the author of The Little Prince, love is not two people gazing at each other, but two people looking ahead together in the same direction. Let's begin with a story about Debbie, who's a woman I really respect from our Buddhist community. She's a tough cookie, really funny and warm, and came of age during the early punk rock scene of the 70s and 80s in New York City. The Mud Club was like this unbelievable club that never repeated itself again in New York City. It was on White Street, it was downtown, and like everybody was there all the time. Like I'm talking about Mick Jagger, David Bowie, Lou Reed, the Blondies. I was like a major <laughs> stakeholder in the punk rock movement. Um, and I used to go there like every night. At the time, Debbie was in her late teens and had recently started practicing Buddhism. Specifically, she was chanting to meet her partner, not just any guy, but the one. One night, after going from the Mud Club to Dave's Luncheonette, another legendary New York City scene spot on the corner of Canal and Broadway, a guy in a cab spotted her and asked for her number. So, you know, when this guy was like in the cab and he was just like, I have to have your number, and he was like one of these people. He was like one of these cool punk rock people. That, that was it for me. Like, that was like, yes. That's the answer to my prayer. This is the person. They started spending a lot of time together, and she was so happy until one day at a club, she was shocked to see him with his other girlfriend. Unable to confront him, she ran away as soon as she saw them, heartbroken. And I didn't say anything. I just like ran away. I was so upset. I felt horrible. I felt like I was never going to be happy again. I felt like I was worthless, like, I just felt so, I just went into that place of depression and loneliness, I guess, just so swayed by just like this one negative thing happening to me, like being so happy and then all of a sudden like your happiness is taken away because, because something in the environment happens and makes you feel not as good as you felt before or not worthy or wherever place we go to. She eventually came out of it due to chanting and good advice from people around her. But it was a painful process. I remember, like, someone said to me, you know, your happiness is inside of you. You know, whatever you like so much about this one person is something that exists within your own life, you know. And so it doesn't have to be that person. And I think, like, that was the hardest part of my revolution of myself. You know, my human revolution was realizing it was like it was okay to not just like determine that this was the person and to have the wisdom to start to think about what was best for my life like did i really want to be with somebody that was going to cheat on me you know or was it just like this idea that nobody can reject me but i think a lot of young women kind of feel like that like as soon as somebody doesn't like them or love them the way they want to they're immediately destroyed inside so i feel like it was really for me the first time i really had to i had to look at myself and go back to that prime point of you know what's my worth who am i is it just you know am i only great because some man likes me or thinks i'm okay or do i really believe i'm okay 
Now, let's get into Amelia's story. She's 24 and currently lives in Harlem, New York City. I grew up in the Bay Area, and um, my mom was originally from Berkeley, California, and my dad is from Nicaragua. And um, yeah, I grew up in a house of all women. This was my mom and then four daughters, so I grew up in this like very like women's empowerment. I think having a single mom with four girls and then all of us seeing like her relationships kind of, you know, up and down. I feel like I associated love or falling in love or being blinded by love as like weakness. So like to be strong was to like not fall for that. So I would just judge everyone, you know, who was like, <laughs> they broke my heart. I was like, well, they probably sucked. So like move on. Amelia's mom practiced Buddhism her whole life, but only around 17 did she start chanting herself. At 18, she enrolled in Antioch College, a small liberal arts school in Ohio. Tell me, tell me about the, the first time you fell in love. How did it happen? Who was it? So it was really unexpected. So I had like heard about her a little bit uh, from one of my friends. She was very much like in the same vibe and the same kind of group that I already hung out with. And then I, yeah, I went to class and uh, I, it was a little bit confusing because I had never dated a girl before. I, I saw her and then I saw her behavior, like, and I just was so attracted to that. Like she was very strong, like she was like this environmental activist that like traveled all over the world and like saved water, you know, like just like, and I was like, yes, dreams, like that's, that's my goal. And, um, and she was very much herself. I had just never met someone like that. Two months later, they were dating, and Amelia found herself falling deeper and deeper in love. They'd spend hours just sitting in the car listening to music, and when apart, they'd stay up all night talking on the phone. I had never felt that someone really understood what I was going through or like what I felt in my life, and for the first time, I felt like, oh wow, I can tell her anything, and she understands. Almost felt like I was becoming more of myself with her. I mean, I love hanging out with people, but not like for like 10 hours one-on-one. But with her, I was like, oh, I could like go to a desert island and like be fine with just you. And then I was like, this must be what love is. But Amelia also noticed herself starting to behave out of character. I drove five hours to like the middle of nowhere and she was on some like retreat for the environment. She had called me like a couple nights before and she was just like struggling and like, can you come here? Like, you know, so I was like, oh, like, yes. But actually as I was driving, there was like this hint, like there was this feeling that I was like, I feel like something's like off. But I would just kind of like suppress that doubt. Like, that's just my own stuff. So I showed up and I tried to like totally play it down. Like, she was like, well, that's really far to drive. And I was like, no big deal. Even, like, our initial reaction was, like, very, like, just so distant. But then, like, the next moment, she would be like, you're so beautiful. And then anyways, yeah, we ended up leaving that night. And then that morning, when I dropped off at the airport, I was just like, oh, I feel like that's the last time. But it wasn't necessarily like that she said that. But I could just feel it. And then she broke up with me over the phone.
She was devastated. But because the school was so small, they found themselves back on campus together in a confusing entanglement, trying to be just friends while Amelia nursed a shattered heart and her ex dated someone else. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was totally worthless. Like if this person who I see as like the only person who understands me, like doesn't want to even be with me, like what do I even have? So um, I actually had planned, because I thought we were going to stay together. So I had planned not to leave Ohio for my co-op, which usually like you leave. So then she came back to Ohio and uh, she, I remember she had asked me like, oh, did you stay to like, you know, be with me or whatever? And I was like, no. Like, for sure not. And then she started um, dating the other girl that she had been with. And then I worked in the kitchen, so then I had to, like, serve them every day. And uh, it was so humiliating on, like, so many different levels because I just never thought that I would be in that position that I had judged so many people for. I just thought, like, like what, how could I have been so, like, dumb? To an outsider, it's clear that this is a stark contrast to the Amelia who started college feeling strong and independent. The Amelia who felt like love is for the weak. So let's unpack here what causes these feelings in us and why heartbreak can cause us to behave in opposition to our values. According to an article by Jerry Carranzas, a professor of relationship science at Deakin University, Australia, the loss of a first love is also the first time the physical and psychological symptoms of grief and loss are experienced. This is why breaking up is so hard. The key person in life that helps you deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly is not there to help you deal with this highly distressing loss. But the essential teaching of Buddhism is that everything we need to live a happy, fulfilling life is inside of us. Understanding and accepting this idea may not be hard, but actually believing in ourselves is incredibly difficult. In this sense, heartbreak can be one of the most crucial times during which we need to have the ability to reach into our own life and pull out the confidence and fortitude to withstand the emotional hurricane of rejection that can strip us of our self-esteem. In the 10th chapter of the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha says, this Lotus Sutra is the most difficult to believe and the most difficult to understand. For context, the Lotus Sutra was a revolutionary teaching because in the midst of the hierarchical society of ancient India, the Buddha taught that all human beings, regardless of social status or gender, are endowed with fundamental enlightenment and can tap into it as they are. Again, enlightenment is just another name for courage, wisdom, and compassion. This was so difficult to believe because human beings tended to look outside of themselves for help. There's even a passage in which the Buddha outlines six difficult and nine easy acts to give his disciples a sense of scale of this difficulty of self-belief. The easy acts are things like hurling a mountain across countless Buddha lands, kicking a major world system into a different quarter with one's toe, and grasping the sky with one's hand and traveling around with it. The difficult acts include teaching the Lotus Sutra to even one person, 
and maintaining faith in it. Basically, to believe in your own enlightenment is really, really hard, especially if you can't seem to access or activate it when you need it the most. We may accept in theory that people have this great potential for enlightenment inside of them, but do we actually believe it when faced with a setback or a negative experience? No, in those moments, our faith in ourselves and other people often crumbles. Heartbreak, then, especially if the love that led to it was founded on seeking external validation, tends to be the hardest time to believe in yourself. This is where chanting comes in. In the words of the Japanese monk Nichiren, who developed the practice of chanting, if you wish to free yourself from the sufferings of birth and death you have endured since time without beginning, and to attain without fail unsurpassed enlightenment in this lifetime, you must perceive the mystic truth that is originally inherent in all living beings. This truth is Myoho Renge Kyo. Chanting Myoho Renge Kyo will therefore enable you to grasp the mystic truth innate in all life. In this sense, chanting to deeply believe that we have everything inside of us to lead fulfilling, compassionate, and wise lives is the solution to a broken heart. But sometimes you have to reach rock bottom to realize this. I remember like one specific incident that like really like shook me. Uh, she was like really sick. I worked in the kitchen and so I was like, oh, I can make her like a soup and like, you know, went to her dorm room and it and I walk in, and it's her, her ex, who they're now together again. And she's just like, hey. And, like, my heart, like, sank. Like, I was just like, wow. You can't, you can't, uh, can't twist this one. And be like, no problem. She super duper totally respects me. Like, if I don't, if I don't, like, at least try to, like, see some sliver of self-worth in my life, like, if I go back after that, then, like, wow, Amelia, like, you really just, you lost yourself. And at the same time, I started really reading encouragement. I was, like, reading this book called Discussions in Youth, and there's this, like, chapter about, like, what is love? Like, if I don't believe in myself, like, at least, like, there's, like, there's something in this world that believes in me. And um, there was, like, two passages. One was, how will this person compare to the next 100, 1,000, 10,000 people you meet. The passage she's referring to reads like this. Please don't let a broken heart discourage you. Tell yourself you're not so weak or fragile as to let such a minor thing bring you down. You may think there is no one who could possibly compare to that person, but how will they compare to the next 100, the next 1,000, the next 10,000 people you will meet? You cannot declare with certainty that there will not be others who far surpass them. As you yourself grow, the way you look at people will change as well. I'm sure a few among you have had your hearts broken or been badly hurt and perhaps feel unable to go on, your self-esteem in tatters. But you must never believe that you are worthless. There is no substitute for you who are more precious than all the treasures in the universe gathered together. I was just like, okay, Amelia, like, like, don't believe you're worthless. Like, you're not worthless. So, like, every day I would just chant, like, but, okay, I'm just never going to believe that, you know, I'm worthless. 
like there's and I would just cry reading this because there's the image of like there's no treasure in the universe more precious than your life because I really felt like my life has no meaning without this person. It may sound a little odd to refer to oneself as this praiseworthy individual, but going back to the passage from Nichiren, the essence of the Lotus Sutra and of chanting its title is to develop faith in this single point. The reason for this is because it's only a person who is secure in their individuality and purpose who can really enjoy a healthy relationship. In talking to some friends about this episode, the question came up, what if you're the one who breaks someone else's heart? Sometimes it causes just as much suffering, and yet it's of your own doing. Interestingly, the Buddhist advice for this situation is exactly the same as before. Before we get back to Amelia, here's a brief story of a young man in such a situation. I was in a relationship that was very, very serious. We were dating for like four years, and we were talking about getting married, having babies, all that stuff. We were living together at the time. And then that was um, on, on the last year, uh, this opportunity came up of me coming to New York. Gonzalo is an actor from Portugal who moved to New York City at the age of 26. I came to New York and, you know, she was, uh, she was very supportive of, of me coming here. But after a while, though, after a year, it was really hard to keep that long-distance relationship uh, healthy. And um, I decided to break up. <laughs> it was very painful for her. And uh, I didn't realize but then it, it became very painful to me. I really realized, oh my God, how much I miss her and how much actually, even though I was in New York, something else was missing. Uh, my life was still a little empty. I fell into deep depression. And uh, in time, with a lot of chanting and with the support of amazing, amazing friends in this organization, I uh, was able to um, uh, tur turn it around from the perspective of realizing what was the real issue. And the real issue was that I was in pain because uh, I was, uh, I thought that in order to become happy, I needed to have a relationship, which, you know, it was, was not, not true as I studied principle of like really uh, the happiness coming from within. And suddenly the, the shift started to focus, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the focus started to shift, sorry, English, from uh, something that was external to something that was really internal. And, um, I just immediately felt better uh, and uh, also felt as well that my career also was a big issue, that I was really relying on this idea of in order for me to be happy, I have to be a famous actor. And so those two things, the career and the relationship, were things that I was pursuing outside of myself. A year later, I went back to Portugal and I made a determination to uh, not have this relationship be scarred and I reached out to her. and. We met, we talked it out, and you know, there was a lot of crying, there was a lot of like emotional uh, things, but because my life was better in a more uh, solid place, uh, she, we just started a new relationship as friends, and she now is one of my best friends. You know, we both moved on. I have a new uh, uh, girlfriend, and she got married, and she has a baby, and she made a point of inviting me to come see the baby and it was just I was crying to see the baby and it was just like crying of joy of like her you know so ha you know being so happy with her new family and she's happy for me so completely turned around
Amelia knew she was free was one year after they first broke up. I had actually started dating someone, another person, um, which was uh, which was great. That person's really wonderful. Um, but I was still like in love with her, like 100%. So she found out I was dating someone and she really did not like this person. So she like, it was on like Instagram DM. Um, but she, she was like, you only seek toxic people. Um, yeah, you only seek toxic relationships. Like basically being like, you know, you don't even see better for yourself. And, and, then, and then it ended with, um, I'm only saying this because I care about you. And I just remember thinking, like, you don't, you don't care about me. Like, no one who cares about me would ever say that. So I went back to my beloved chapter, What is Love? And um, I read again that I must never believe that I'm, you know, worthless. And I, like, messaged back. And uh, because I'd really been chatting to see my self-worth, at least I had courage to take action. So um, I responded and I was like, uh, you know, I think this is a really great time for us to part ways. And then the rest of the night was uh, me crying and chanting and like just sitting there. <laughs> and then the next day, so I went to work and um, felt my phone vibrate. I looked at my Instagram DMs and uh, I saw, the moment I saw it was from her, I just deleted it. I don't even know what she said. Like, even to this day, I've literally no idea. And at, at that moment, what was so shocking to me was I, for the first time, felt like, I don't even want this. I don't even want this in my life. Like, I really, I was so shocked at my own life that, like, my life rejected it. Honestly, and not from this, like, I wasn't thinking. Like, I, I, all I could feel in, like, my brain, my heart, everything was just like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want any of this and I, I just deleted it, I didn't respond. And that was so freeing. Like, I remember it like it was yesterday because I, I was like, what? Like, this thing that I thought I was gonna be trapped in, I did it myself through my own efforts, through like making efforts to value myself. Yeah, so even when she hit me up like a couple months ago, um, actually to apologize for everything, which I never would have thought ever. And um, she actually even started practicing Buddhism herself. I actually like have so much appreciation for her, like beyond. Like she, if it wasn't for her, I would have never fought for my life like that. I'll leave you today with one of Ikeda's conclusions from the essay especially for those who may be listening to this while still in the depths of despair of fresh heartbreak. Only when you experience the crushing, painful depths of suffering can you begin to understand the true meaning of life. Precisely because you have experienced great suffering, it is imperative that you go on living. The important thing is to keep moving forward. If you use your sadness as a source of growth, you will become a person of greater depth and breadth, an even more wonderful you.
Next time, we'll be talking about Buddhist solutions to financial challenges, finding your dream job, and how to be a great Buddhist parent. As always, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at podcast at sgi-usa.org.